The Rigger Gambling Feed is back every Monday. Join myself, Joe House, Raheem Palmer, and John Dushepsky for East Coast Bias. Sunday's action recap and our favorite bets for Monday Night Football. Then on Tuesday, we got the Roster Diamond Show where I'll break down everything you need to know in the betting world. Plus, the East Coast Bias Boys will be back on Thursday to help you get your betting card sorted ahead of all the NFL action. And then on Fridays, it's me back with Warren Sharp, deep diving into the analytics. So be sure to subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to Extra Point. Take it, Shield Kapati here. Joined by Ben Solak following the Seahawks comeback win in the fourth quarter against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Jalen Hurts battled through an illness, was okay for three quarters, fell apart in the fourth quarter. I am battling through an illness. I feel like I could have a similar performance where you'll be like, it's not that bad. And then by the time we hit like maybe the 40 minute mark, you'll be like, all right, we need to wrap this up. What is this guy about to say? So that's what you're getting into here tonight. Benny Souls, how are we doing? You know, just just love love watching my favorite team lose to Drew Locke on national television. That's how I like <laughs> to spend spend a Monday. Just watch Drew Locke do his little fake backpack celebration in my face. And the worst part is, and this is actually this is like my my uh, part of my first take off the game. The worst part is that everyone's celebrating. Everyone's like, "Oh, I'm so happy for Drew Locke. Oh, what a happy guy!" Gave a great post game interview. Super emotional. Super honest. And the whole time I'm just there, like, oh, <laughs> the one guy in America not enjoying it. Uh, I actually, yeah, I did enjoy his, his post game <laughs> interview on the field. Yeah. It was very genuine, authentic. It meant a lot to him. Goes 92 yards to beat the Eagles to keep the Seahawks playoff hopes alive. All right, we're going to talk about that game, but we're also going to talk about everything else that happened in Week 15. Benny Souls, you know, you were you were telling me before that you you're like, you know, you might you can sit this one out. Don't worry about it. Holidays are coming up, and I'm like, we only got so many more of these Benny Souls. If I can battle through, I got to battle through. So that's what I decided to do. All right, lead us off. You've got our first take. If you listen, if you want to hear a big Eagles take or like 45 minutes on the Eagles, you can go to the yeah. Ringers Philly special. We spoke at length about the Eagles angle there. They lose three in a row. They look like they're falling apart. Uh, but what is your take for extra point taken on this game? Yeah, I'll give you half of an Eagles take and then I'll give you half of a Seahawks take in a little, little right. teaser. The Eagles take, and I think it's important, right? We do Philly special every week, but we got to talk on extra point taking it about how important this NFC champion of last year, this kind of falling apart now, three straight losses. The first time there's been three straight losses for an Eagles team under Nick Sirianni since his first season as a coach, since Hurts' first established season as the starter. Uh, fundamentally, the most, the most important thing to understand about the Eagles right now is this. Uh, the defensive issues are not going away, and this team can be relied upon to be anyone. Like, their upcoming 
schedule is Giants, Cardinals, Giants. And we should be able to say like, oh, well, you know, they'll beat those three teams. And then once they beat those three teams, because the Cowboys lost to the Bills, they'll win the division. And like, sure, but all professional offenses can drop 90 yard scoring drives on this head, on this team's head. Like once Drew Locke does it to you, everybody's doing it to you. That, that's the reality of it. The reason is because uh, personnel-wise, the Eagles last year were a great example of a defense that min-maxed, right? They built through the pass rush and spent a ton of money and resources there, built into coverage, get two strong outside corners, put a ton of money there, and that's, that's your maxing. And then your minning is just, okay, like, TJ Edwards, he's a UDFA, he's been around for us for a few years, TJ's in there. Reed Blankenship, UDFA safety, throw him out there, he'll get some good reps, he'll be okay for you, right? So they they... they you got to fill in the gaps at the non-premium positions, but you super heavily invest in the premium positions. And that is an acceptable framework for team building. Like that's that's a, a good way of going about it, like getting a nice defense on the field. That was last year. This year is a team that tried to min-max and it just goes way too far. Like, firstly, they're they're maxing, right? They're, they're, they're All their money's on Bradbury and Slay and the Jalen Carter top 10, Jordan Davis top 15, Hassan Reddick extension, Josh Sweat extension. They're not getting enough from those players. And then the non-max, the, the min guys, the linebackers, the safeties, the nickel corner, like they just got nobody, right? They have, they have zero playable linebackers on the roster. They have played significant snaps from Nicholas Morrow, Zach Cunningham, Nicobe Dean, and Darius Leonard over the course of the season, excuse me, Shaq Leonard over the course of the season, and not a one of them has looked like an impact player. And so right now, this defense does not, there's no solution around the corner. There's no Darius Slay gets back, Matt Patricia takes over play calling, and there's a jump here. Like, the only way it happens is if Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat start taking games over. And that's, Every defense is just hoping their two best guys take games over. Their pass rush takes games over. So there's the, this, this is not going away. Like whoever they draw in the wild card round, uh, 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 Minnesota Vikings, Kevin O'Connell and Justin Jefferson, Rams, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, like they are liable to lose to that team because of their defensive issues. So there's my 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 little Eagles teaser for you. I will say of, of the Seahawks, I am objectively kind of happy for Drew Locke. It's really, I think, cool when a guy who had an experience like Locke did, where he was drafted to be a starter, had a chance to be a starter, couldn't get that job, had a lot of criticism, was very disappointed in himself, received a lot of heat, got traded away, and had a new start, can get a big win like this, can get a big moment like that. And I think it is doubly impactful when the guy that he's replacing as the starter went through the exact same thing. And the relationship that Gino and Drew are kind of showing that they have is really, really cool. Gino was a Second round pick. He was going to be the Jets starter. He couldn't get the job. He bounced around the league. He found a home in Seattle. And he's been such a good shepherd to Locke. Like, Locke got asked about him in the postgame presser. Like, you know, what does Gino do for you? And, and he just went for two minutes on just like, Gino is the man. He's the unsung hero. He said Gino was on the sideline before the two-minute drive telling Drew Locke that Drew Locke was the best player on the field. Which is lying through your teeth, but that's what you got. That's what you do, right? That's how. That's, that's how you lead. Drew Lock hits that game winning touchdown. Smith and Jigba throws up his little backpack celebration. Who's there on the sideline doing it right back to him? It's Geno Smith. Geno's been where he's been and understands what it means to get back on the field as a backup, have an opportunity to win a couple games and put some good film out there, extend your career, extend your earning, hang around in this league. And so it is. It was so cool when it happened to Geno for the Seahawks at the beginning of last year. Obviously, not the same thing is going to happen for Locke. Gino's going to be back next week. But it, it is objectively cool when a guy who goes through that process of being an early pick and all that criticism gets that opportunity to have a big win and it actually gets the hay in the barn. Shout out to Drew Locke. Eagles hat off. Eagles hat back on. I hate Drew Locke. But Eagles hat off. Shout out to him. Yeah, no, it was one of the best post-game just on-field interviews I've seen in a long time. He, he was getting emotional. He was talking about how 
you get back out there and you're like, can I do this? I mean, even these players at the highest level, they are professional athletes. They always, you know, you still have a little bit of self-doubt always, unless you're just like the elite of the elite where you're so used to succeeding. And so uh, I thought that was very honest, very authentic from him. I thought he was uh, great about it. Even when he and Geno Smith had that quarterback competition, uh, the way Drew Locke was talking about it at that time, I remember being like, oh, this is like pretty uh, impressive here. And so uh, part of that speaks to the culture. You know, Pete Carroll, we can sit here and we can rip him, rip him for his in-game decision-making with yeah. stuff tonight. And that's absolutely fair. And then you zoom out and you realize, you know what? That's only a part of what being an NFL head coach is. And this was an old school Seahawks game where Pete Carroll will be jumping on top of lockers. When I covered that Seahawks team, literally on top of lockers uh, in Minnesota. They were playing at University of Minnesota, I believe, that year. And he's on yeah. there asking, can you win the game in the No, can you win the game in the second? No, can you win the game in the third quarter? No, can you win the game in the fourth quarter? And everyone goes nuts. They just hang in there and they hang in there and they hang in there. And he has this belief that don't worry the next thing that happens is going to be a good thing for us and we're going to eventually win the game and it doesn't always work that way you know part of it is just kind of that uh you know coaching intangibles philosophy all all that stuff culture all the stuff we can't quantify but the guy's track record speaks for itself they had never lost four in a row under pete carroll they lost four in a row they're underdogs at home to the eagles they look pretty lifeless for a big part of that game. And then they put together a 92-yard drive in the fourth quarter. Uh, they get two interceptions in the fourth quarter. They win that game. They keep their season alive. Now, hopefully, you get Geno Smith back healthy and you go at Tennessee, you're home against the Steelers, at the Cardinals. Now, none of those are gimmies, but those are very winnable games where you now have a great shot at getting back to the postseason. So uh, yeah. monstrous, monstrous win for the Seahawks, where if you would have interviewed Seahawks fans with what, six minutes left in the fourth quarter? I mean, think of what the conversation would be right now. It's amazing how much can change in a short amount of time. Six minutes left in the fourth quarter, you're going, they're probably looking at their fifth straight loss. What are the offseason questions? Is it the same leadership back? Is Geno back? What are they? What? And now we're talking about, hey, they got a great shot to get into the playoffs. So uh, it's wild. It's why we love it. So much of this can change in such a short amount of time. Yeah, the, uh, the Seahawks don't yet control their destiny. We're like, win out and they're in. But in the event that the Vikings lose to the Lions this upcoming week, then they will control their destiny. And let me tell you something. I think the Vikings are going to lose to the Lions this upcoming week. Uh, in the event that the Rams lose to the Saints on Thursday night, the Seahawks control their destiny. I don't think that one's going to happen. But they don't need much to get to a point where they're winning in. And like you said, Titans, Steelers, Cardinals, far from gimmies, but also, I think, eminently winnable games for a team that is going to be getting Geno back. And, and, and critically, defensively, they started the season strong, and it was kind of like, holy smokes, Seahawks defense, and that's fallen away. I think like the reality of their defense is very clear. Offensively, this line is, be is better now than I think it's been like at any point in the season, just from a health, continuity, and play perspective. And then uh, you've gotten some good DK games recently. Smith and Jigba is better now than he's been. Like, And you have Walker and Charbonnet both healthy and active. Like The first part of the year was like all Kenneth Walker, and then Charbonnet kind of got activated once Walker missed some time, and now they're both there. Like, offensively. This is about, once Geno's back, about as good of a Seahawks unit as we've seen all season. I do think they have like legit firepower to them down the stretch. Walker was awesome tonight. I mean, Walker's he was a like, jitterbug, dude. in the he middle jitterbug. part of that game, yeah. I mean, he was really putting the offense on his back, breaking tap tackles, making guys miss. He just looked so much more athletic 
than those Eagles defenders. So he was terrific uh, in this game. I didn't necessarily love their entire offensive game plan in this game. I thought what you saw in that last drive, it was like you probably could have leaned into this more throughout the course of the game, just taking shots against these inexperienced yeah. Eagles corners. But overall, I think it's a well-schemed uh, offense. And uh, yeah, they've given themselves a shot with three to go here. So that's all you can ask for. All right. I'm up. My first take here. Benjamin. Maybe this is how the Bills finally do it. You know? Oh, yeah? I love listen, it. Listen, they, they've never won a Super Bowl. They've come close. If you're old like me, if you're young like Solak, you won't remember it. If you're old like me, you'll remember the Jim Kelly teams. Jim Kelly. Then they, then they have the Sean McDermott teams. Uh, they've never won one. But sometimes, Ben, when a tortured fan base finally breaks through, it just has to be weird. It cannot be easy. Eagle, remember, Eagles' first Super Bowl win was Nick Foles, man. Listen, I said you got to come in the other direction. Those are the two examples that I always, uh, I always reference. One is 2004. I'm in college. Red Sox down 3-0 to the Yankees. If you're younger, you're going. Don't bring the Red Sox. The Red Sox at that time were a cursed franchise. Had not won since 1918. They're down three nothing to the Yankees. They come back. They win that series four three. They win their first World Series. 2017 Eagles. I did a podcast after Carson Wentz got injured where it was a funeral where I said, yeah. this team is done. Maybe in the future, they'll have a chance. They'll get healthy. They'll come back. Nick Foles comes in. Nick Foles and Doug Peterson against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl for a franchise that had never won a Super Bowl. Guess what? Somehow, they pulled it off. It's just, uh, just something about sports. Sometimes in these situations, it has to get a little weird. So that brings me to the twenty twenty. I do want to say real yeah. quick, you also did have a pod after before that Eagles-Patriots game where you made another prediction that was far, far, far better than the funeral prediction. You, you have your flowers for that one. Thank you for reminding everyone of that. Now we have these 2023 Buffalo Bills, Ben. We have a season in which they started 6-6. Six and six. We had a revelation that Sean McDermott was using actual 9-11 terrorists as an example of working together. Organization. <laughs> this was a thing that happened. This was a thing Motivation. that happened. Motivation. They lose their best linebacker. They lose their best cornerback. They fire their offensive coordinator. And look where they are. Look at what they did to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. I mean, you watch that game. Josh Allen completes seven passes and it doesn't matter. They're just pounding the football 49 times for 266 <clears throat> yards under center, play action, shotgun, quarterback designed, three different running backs. It doesn't matter. The Cowboys cannot stop them. Defensively, a group that looked like one of the worst in the NFL in the middle part of the season. After those injuries, they hold Dak Prescott to 3.9 yards per attempt. This team is now... Eight and six with a plus 125 point differential. That's fifth in the NFL. They are third in DVOA. They're passing the eye test. They've got the juice back. Josh Allen's got the energy back. So maybe, maybe after all this weirdness, the Bills, maybe just talking about them in the playoffs isn't enough. Maybe just talking about them as NFC, AFC East champs isn't enough. Maybe all of this is going to lead wow. to. The culminate. Look at wow. that. Look, is okay. How many teams in the NFL tomorrow on a neutral field are you picking over the Bills? I've got the 49ers. 
And that might be it. Are they? My, are, okay. are there two? Is there a better team in the AFC than the Buffalo Bills right now? If they played on a neutral field tomorrow, I'm not sure that there is. On my on my power rankings, which I like for that I use for batting, which is just like a general look at like how good your team is. I have them behind the Niners. I have them behind the Dolphins. I have them behind the Cowboys. Obviously, I think if the if the Bills and the Cowboys yeah. were playing a neutral field tomorrow, I would feel a certain way about it. So I have them behind those the, those three. The the uh, the matchup with with Dallas, I think, is, you know, no Jonathan Hankins, the way they were able to run the football is really, really eye-popping. It, it, it would be one thing if Josh Allen is heroically wrenching this Bills team through the dust. I'm an MVP caliber player. I'm one of the greats. That's we're what going I thought to the was going to yes. need to happen. And yeah. you and I talked about it. I, I, I was very, like, I, I, when we looked at that 6-6 six and six Bills team and they were they were 11 to 1 to make the playoffs. I bet on them to make the playoffs, but I bet a lot on more on Josh Allen to win MVP because I said, okay, in the world to which they win the playoffs, certainly Allen's the MVP. Nobody told me he was going to throw for 97 yards in a multi score win over the Cowboys. The, the, the Bills look recently complete. And that is, that's the thing is like the nature of this improvement is really the, the shocking thing. Uh, Aaron Schatz of, of FTN, uh, who manages uh, uh, DVOA, showed that the Bills, had, they had a, they've had a top six, top seven DVOA in the first stretch of the season. And then week five and week six came. And that was when they lost Daquan Jones, when they lost Tredavious White, and when they lost uh, um, Matt Milano, right? From week six to 10, 32nd in, te- in, in defensive DVOA over that stretch. Since week 11, back to fifth. They've played the Jets, eh, the Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Cowboys in that stretch. That nothing to sneeze at, all right? Yeah. That is a good offensive stretch. Listen, they, it, the, they've made a lot of investments in running the ball since the beginning of 2022. You're starting to see that pay off. They have a good defensive mind in Sean McDermott who's got more control over the defense than he had in seasons past. You're seeing that pay off. And it turns out Josh, you still Josh when he needs to be, right? You didn't need him against the Cowboys, but you still have. He's been playing that way all season. So the Bills feel complete. And then, yeah, they've also kind of looked death in the face over the course of this season with everything that's happened, right? With all the chaos of it all. Certainly at the end of last season, there was catastrophe in the DeMar Hamill. Like they've been through so much that they're, yeah, certainly going to feel as they go through the playoffs. Like, listen, we can get through this. We've gotten through worse stuff before. And the pressure comes off a little bit when you're entering, you know, the playoffs, potentially the way they're going to enter the playoffs. So we'll see. That's just, that was a thought that came to mind when I was watching this Bills team. On Sunday, I said, I don't know how many teams in the NFL I like more than them. They've beaten the Dolphins already. They've beaten the Chiefs already. Uh, they play the Ravens on a neutral field. Good matchup. Ravens, very good team. I don't know. I might lean Bills uh, in that matchup. So uh, you've got that. Those are the teams you need to probably get through in the AFC. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe they're going to fall apart still down the stretch. That happens sometimes with these teams where you feel great about them in week 15, and then they have a setback in week 16, 17, or 18. Uh, but man, I really like how they're playing. One thing I don't think you mentioned, their offensive line. Like This looks as good as a yeah. Bills offensive line has played maybe since ja- Josh Allen got there. Uh, which I, wrote, I wrote the exact thing in the hot read. And I texted, I texted a couple people because like I wasn't dialed in on the 2018 Bills offensive line. So I texted yeah. some Bills people and I was just like, this is the best offensive line Josh has played with, right? And everybody was like, yes, period. Right? They, this yeah. is, they are a complete unit. Like, Don Kincaid, Khalil Shakir, James Cook. They have targets that aren't Stephon Diggs. They, a lot of the stuff that we've been knocking the Bills for the last couple of years, uh, very quietly while all this nonsense is going on, they cleaned up a lot of it and they feel complete. They really do. Yeah, so there you go. 
keep an eye keep an eye on the Bills. I'm not sure what their ceiling is, but man, uh, they're at the Chargers next week, and then they get the Patriots at home. And as Solak pointed out last week, if they pick up a game on the Dolphins the next two weeks and win those two, they finish the season at Miami in a game that could be for the division. And now you're talking about putting yourself in an even better spot as you go into the AFC playoffs. All right, let's take a break. Yeah. We'll come back. We'll get to Solak's second take. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we are back on Extra Point Taken. Benny Souls, what do you got? Yeah, okay. The Atlanta Falcons. I feel like I should be doing a Stephen A. Smith video like he does for the Cowboys, <laughs> where I'm just laughing. Sorry, the Atlanta Falcons. I didn't mean to do that. I I I wash my hands of you. I I, oh. I, ca- I cast you off. I deny you three times. I deny you. Truly, truly, truly. I say to you, I do not know you. I ca- I cut whatever bonds we shared. I ca- I cast away all association with you. I expunge you from this podcast forevermore. You are expelled. No more. I'm so done. So I am no, I'm finished with the Atlanta Falcons. You cannot lose a game to the Carolina Panthers, okay, in which they don't score a touchdown. You when, when you are within a game, I, you cannot do this. I'm finished with the Falcons. Now, when I believed in the Falcons, Shiel, like I, 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 much of it was construed as belief in Desmond Ritter, which certainly was there. But the beginning of my belief in the Falcons was I really liked this running game, their size, their physicality. I thought they were zagging where the league's offensive meta was zigging. I thought that they were going to present a good foil to, to what, what most offenses did and that that was going to put them in a unique position to put defenses in binds. Last year, they were third in the league in rushing success rate, Shield. Uh, there was 11th in explosive run rate. And this was with Marcus Mariota, quarterback. Like they, were, they had some mobility at quarterback, not really a mobile quarterback. This was a, 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 a legitimate rushing team. They, they invested in the running game early in the draft, Shield. They added Bijan Robinson in the first round, Matthew Bergeron to play guard in the second round. They brought John New Smith, a second tight end, into the building, right? They invested in the offseason in this running game. They are 23rd in rushing success rate this year. They are 14th in explosive. They are 23rd in success rate. The, where this team's bread was supposed to be buttered, they completely faltered. They, they, they lost the thread. Uh, uh, and, and that brings you to the second issue, which is development. Why are all of the players getting worse here? Bijan Robinson had his, had his season low uh, participation in, in rushing share. He had his season low snap participation. If you just watch Bijan, remember those first few games of Bijan where we were yeah, like, what incredible. the frick? <laughs> Look at this cat move. This guy's going to be, be a sensation catching the ball, running the ball. He's making guys miss in space. 
he's lost confidence. He's, he's, his routes are bad. Like, a, a lot of times when I was talking about Ritter and talking about Bijan, I was talking about they don't, just, they don't agree on any routes. They don't know where the placements are. They're constantly throwing to areas where he's not cutting. They had, like, the, the fourth down miss against the Buccaneers two weeks ago where Bijan bends the route up and Ritter throws it flat. This is happening constantly. Why, why is your good receiving back getting worse at running routes and catching balls over time? Why is he being phased out of the running game? Why, are you not, like, why can't you develop him? Uh, Kyle Pitts. Pitts is just it, it, the the spacing is worse and 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 the the route where he, he uh, Ritter throws the interception he's trying to target Pitts and he wants Pitts to 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 work to where there's space and he doesn't like they 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 can't find a way to get him activated he's worse now than he was in his rookie season where he was setting tight end records Ritter like even like even if you never were like Ritter is good Ritter is very clearly worse now than he was before he got benched they were you were four and three. You were four and three, and you benched your quarterback halfway through the Titans game, and you went to lose three games in a row, and you had to put him back out in the field. How is that going to help a player? When we were talking about Smith at the podium in the middle of the season, where it's like, okay, dude, you're making decisions, you're putting the team a certain way, whatever. Stop hurting yourself. Stop hurting your team by constantly like increasing the visibility on these decisions and 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 back talking anybody who questions them. And oh, you know, you just don't get football, and oh, it's a good football decision. Every Smith keeps making this team worse. He's dragging the team down. He is negatively impacting the team. That all brings us now to Ritter, which like I thought Ritter was going to be in a, a, a good incubator, an environment where they were good off play action pass, which by the way, they're not good off play action passes this year. This is the other thing they were supposed to be good at. Good off play action pass and wouldn't have to throw the ball a lot and and could just play ball control and just be not an issue for the offense, then let all the skill position players work for him. Obviously, he hasn't got the running game working for him in the flash pass the skill position the way you wanted to, but he's now shot himself in the foot so many times there's no foot left, right? You can't just turn the ball over this much in the red zone. The, the, the model for the quarterback of this offense has to be a don't-make-mistakes quarterback. you got to make tight window throws. you got to make tough throws, but still, it's like run, 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 and be successful. Run, run, be successful. Like, do not hurt yourself because you're going to play a shorter game. You're going to have fewer drives because of the ball control nature of this offense. You cannot end in turnovers and Ritter's just turning the football over too much. It's not safe enough with the ball uh, to, to, to be viable, right? You, you'd rather have somebody out there who just is sitting on it and game managing. You're, you're Derek Carrs of the world out there. Even if they're not going to elevate for you, at least they're going to let the offense work for itself. And so Ritter has not been able to take on the character, the play style of the sort of quarterback that this this offense needs. So I I I, I disavow this team. I cast them aside. I I I a, anybody asks me say, oh, where those Ritter takes? I I don't know the man. Right, the Peter <laughs> went, Peter when the Romans were crucifying Jesus. I've never heard of him before. I wasn't walking around with him. Who is this guy? I've heard never heard of this guy. I'm done with them. I'm out on the Falcons, and I never was in on them. There you go. That was a low point Sunday. Okay, you, you you're you're so right about. Like the team you might have envisioned the Falcons to be, that's the right. type of game that they should be able to run for 225 yards. One of the worst rushing the defenses in the league in the Carolina right. Panthers. It's rain. It's a downpour. It's a team that has one win all season. Now, I know the Falcons had offensive line injuries, but give me a break. Every team has injuries this time of year, and they couldn't do it. You know, they get into the red zone. Ritter makes the mistake, and then the defense can't get off the field. I mean, that's a, what, a 17-play drive that took off like seven minutes of the clock by the Panthers against your defense. So uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with the offense. You know, you Arthur Smith absolutely has a resume of being able to do, as I say, more with less, being an offensive schemer. Last year, this offense was eighth in offensive DVOA with Marcus Mariota mostly 
at quarterback. And so I, as much as I made fun of you earlier in the season, I did see some of the reasoning for the optimism around this team. They're all the way down to tw- your 25th in offensive DVOA. You've spent three straight top 10 picks on offensive players. You're paying three offensive linemen $10 million or more. And you're supposed to be a good offensive coach and you're 25th in offensive DVOA. And by the way, you have no playing at quarterback for the future. Like that's a freaking disaster to be in that spot. I mean, these are like, like you. what is going on with Bajan Robinson? Uh, right. Like, no, this cannot be Drake London last, you know, a couple of weeks ago takes over that game and puts you in position to win. Like, why? Why is it not every week? What Kyle Pitts? What's going on? You hand pick these guys with a vision, with a plan. Again, these were top 10 picks. These are premium picks. These are picks that oftentimes you spend at least one of them on the lines of scrimmage or at quarterback and you spend one on a running back and a tight end. You better be right about those. And it doesn't look like you were right about those. You're 20th in rushing DVOA. How do you go from third to 20th when you added a top 10 pick that, at it's, running it's back? It's so bad. It's so That's bad. terrible. So uh, I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what direction they go in. And by the way, you didn't even mention who was the first team who said they're not interested. Lamar Jackson, uh, all right, non-exclusive yeah. franchise said, who was the first team to you know leak or report that they're not interested? It was the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, they've passed a, your boy, Justin Fields, who you like more than me. At least it would be like, I don't know. I could talk myself into that being a lot more fun if, yeah, just they just pass on quarterback over and over and over again and say, well, build up the rest of the roster. In theory, okay, let's see it. Well, now you have one of the worst offenses in the league. You can't win a terrible division and you have no plan for the future. So now what? So uh, yeah, you, if yeah. you are a Falcons fan, this season really could not have gone any worse for you. And and like the, take the Fields thing. I, I talked about how like a quarterback needs to be able to avoid turnovers in order to work in this offense. That's obviously never been Fields. But okay, like it should work because of the play-action pass and because of the, the running game. But their running game is is remarkably worse than it was last year. Their play action pass game is worse than it was last year. Like uh, even though like designs wise, philosophy wise, that's just how the offense works. I I have lost faith in in Smith's ability to make a quarterback like that work because of the issues they've had this season. Like there's there's no question that Ritter has lost them games with with his turnovers. But I I don't watch Ritter and see a player who is so dramatically limiting at quarterback that you shouldn't be able to just go run, 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 shot, run, 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 shot, run, 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 shot. With the, with your Kale McGarry extension, Chris Lindstrom extension, Matt Bergeron selection, Drew Dolman, Bijan Robinson, Tyler Algier, multiple tight end sets. You are built for this. You are built for mediocre quarterback and you just walking down the field with the other 10 players. This is what you decided to do. And now, and, and you were good at it and now you're not. It, it, it's it's fallen away. And so, it, like again, like my Falcons' interest was based so much on the philosophy of the team and the way that Smith designed it. Going back to his Titans days, I liked the way that he designed offense. It stopped working this year, and he has not been able to pull them out of the tailspin. And in the meantime, in, in his attempts to, he has, I think, like handicapped and crippled the development of players like Bijan, who's who's lost steam tremendously, like Ritter, who looks like he's seeing ghosts out there in a terrible way. Like you had the chance to to help these guys if you had your thumb on the pulse of the offense and if your if your buttons were working, your dials are working, your system was working, and it didn't. You you, you failed the job. And so now you're left, okay, like you're still a Drake London team, you're still a Bijan Robinson team, you're still a Kyle Pitts team, but all those dudes are a year, year older, all of them are a year closer to getting paid or getting out, and you still have to solve the quarterback problem unbelievable swing and miss of a season offensively for the Falcons. And, and Ryan backup, Nielsen is good. Ryan Nielsen is good and you're wasting it. And their backup plan was Taylor Heineke. I mean, it's like like what you talked about. That is not the 
hey, avoid mistake type quarterback. Like if they had Jacoby Brissett starting every game this season, they probably are winning the division. If every team had Jacoby Brissett starting every game this season, they'd be 16 and 0. Jacoby, man, the four four throws into that that Commanders Rams game, I was like, I there he is, our boy. You're back the, in. The, the, the ideal QB2. Just every time we talked about Jacoby Brissett, we were screaming about the Jets, we were vindicated because look at that man go. All right. All right. My second take. I usually don't like doing this, but Matt LaFleur needs to recognize he has a defensive coordinator problem. I'm not the one to say this guy should be fired. This guy should be. I usually try to not do that. But when you watch that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and see Joe Barry's defense get lit up by Baker Mayfield in what was pretty close to a must-win game for the Packers. Baker Mayfield goes 22 for 28 for 381 yards and four touchdowns. The Bucs had one fumble and one punt. They scored on every other possession, four touchdowns, two field goals, second half. Packers could not do anything. From next-gen stats, Benjamin, against when the Packers were in zone coverage, Baker Mayfield, 20 for 24 for 300 and 61 yards. This was, based on EPA per pass play, the ninth best performance by a quarterback all season. Baker played well. I don't want to take anything away from Godwin was amazing in that game. At the same time, this is not a one-game thing. Last, Remember last week, this Packers defense failed to sack Tommy DeVito? Did you watch Tommy DeVito against that Saints defense? He got sacked seven he's times. An eminently he, sackable quarterback. He's, he's very eminently sackable. sackable. They didn't sack him once on the season. The Packers are all the way down to 29th in defensive DVOA. Last year, they were 25th. The year before, to be fair to uh, Joe Barry, they were 12th. So he has one good year out of three. But I look at this Packers team. We might have been wrong. Let's see what happens in the final three weeks here. They lose two games to the Giants and the Bucks. Oh, that is tough. Uh, the offense, I thought, played well enough to win that game on Sunday against Tampa. I respect loyalty. I don't like just, you know, failure, just pushing the pushing the buck and saying this is somebody else's fault. I respect the loyalty from LaFleur, but you're an offensive-minded head coach. You need to be able to hand the keys to a defensive coordinator and say, Take care of it. Handle it. I'm going to be hands off. Get the most out of the talent we have. Give us a little bit of an edge. And we just have not seen that from Joe Barry's defenses the last two years. So this was a transition year for the Packers. Maybe you wanted to stick a you know stick with him for another year. That's fine. But looking ahead, like this can be a legit team next year. Every offensive player is young. You can add to this group. They're getting more rep, reps. They this could I could see me doing an extra point taken in August saying, Packers are going to the Super something <laughs> wild. You know how you get me on those Jordan Love takes. I'm willing I was to say, say pretty much. Are you on some Jordan Love contracts to talk about? And now he's lost. He's 0-2 since you said you'd give him the Kyler deal. <laughs> I'm still in. I, I'll, I'll buy. Uh, Dude, the Jaden Reed it, touchdown. Oh, yeah. Listen, he's he's going to miss some throws. That's fine. You work on that footwork stuff in the offseason, like Kyle Shanahan says. Uh, you come back the next year and you're even better. He, he's plenty good enough now. But uh, assembling a strong coaching staff, I mean, that's like on the top of the list of being a good head coach. Look at what the Vikings did. Larry, they go Ed Donatel to Brian Flores. It completely changed their season. If they're still running this group with Ed Donatel this year, they're not even in the mix. So uh, I'm just saying. You know, Matt LaFleur, you got to look at that situation. You have to be smart. You can't be too loyal. Is your defensive coordinator giving you the best chance to maximize the talent on the roster? If not, 
you need to think about making a move that will. So there you go. Yeah. You know who he's going to hire, right? Uh-oh. Who's he going to hire? Joe Barry's old boss. Oh, my the, gosh. St- the recently, be- the, Yes, the recently <laughs> become available Brandon Staley. Hey, defensive play calling experience. You can manage that side of the ball for us. Head coaching experience. No. Uh I, I I agree with 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 your assessment. I think you're right to say you know loyalty is reasonable. Like just push the buck on the other guys. It that that sort of explanation does, in my opinion, pass more muster when the guy wasn't the defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions from 2007 to 2008. Was bad then. Got another defensive coordinator yeah. job with the Washington Football Team 2015 to 2016, and was also bad then. Right? There's one thing to say like we like our guy, we like his philosophy, we think he's going to turn the corner. When the response is, what about those first two times he coached a defense and it didn't turn the corner? Like, that's where I think you lose a little bit. You lose me a little bit. And that's why yeah. it's just been tough for me on Barry since 21, 22, like, like early in his tenure. The other thing is that with Barry is that, like, obviously, the degree to which a defense can be memed does not actually mean anything in terms of like good or bad. <laughs> We all love taking screenshots of Preston Smith when he's lined up over a slot receiver, right? He's like 280-pound outside linebacker. But structurally, defense-wise, we're in a 3-4, so he has to. But there is something to be said for the fact that um, Barry runs stuff that like got solved a while ago. Like, they, uh, uh, I like Dave Canales, the Bucks OC. I think he did a good job, uh, and he's done a good job all season. But in general, like... The buttons you push against a, a Barry style defense, they've been known for a while. They've been known since he got the job. Like this is a, a pretty cut and dry. We're gonna line up our about eleven players and ask them to be the best guys and 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 line up and play it simple, stupid. Similar like John Gannon with the Eagles, right? Like, all right, four man rush, like you know, two linebackers, nickel. Like when when you have a basic defense, just the, the, you're always gonna lose to the good OCs. And so, all right, you you have good good personnel and you beat up the bad OCs and you make it to the playoffs, you're not going to get a, a, a three-game run in January where you don't run into a good coordinator. And you're going to lose that game, right? Like Kyle Shanahan waxes Joe Barry every time he finds him. Like, it's just... Uh, I'm not interested in defensive coordinators who can't do creative things when they're outclassed by the opposing offense, when they run into a threshing machine. Because the league is too full of good offenses. You can't expect to run so pure in the playoffs that you don't run into one of those guys. And that's why like, I always like my Brian Floreses, who like do a ton of chaotic nonsense and every so often give up a play where it's like, well, yeah, you know, you had a safety coming off the line of scrimmage to cover a guy 90 yards away. Like that wasn't going to work. Like they have those plays, they have those moments, but I prefer those dudes who throw chaos to the wall because it'll give you a fighting chance when you play January football and you inv- invariably run into a Ben Johnson, you run into a Kyle Shanahan, some guy in the NFC who just schemes it up, X's and O's, and out coaches you for four quarters. Yeah, there's nothing less valuable than beating up on bad offenses and uh, right. padding your stats a little bit and making it look good at the end of the season when we know, no, no, this wasn't uh, yeah. a good defense. So um, that's how I felt watching that Packers game. Yeah. Now, what I will say is, uh, you know, this Packers defense was built for the Rodgers era, right? They invested a lot and they had all these first round picks and like, you know, it was supposed to be good then. And, and there was kind of this feeling like, all right, like it's past its prime and now it's going to be. In, in a bad spot, right? You're going to be, you know, this 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 offense is so young and they're going to be evolving and they're going to be ready. Is the defense going to be there at the same time? Well, I'll tell you, like this, uh, like they've gotten Leighton Vander, uh, excuse me, not Leighton Vander, uh, Lucas Van Ness. I'm always going to get those names wrong. Uh, Lucas Van Ness on the field more recently and he's playing nicely for them. Carl Brooks, day three pick, 300 pounder defensive lineman out of Bowling Green. Good little player. All right. They're like, they, they hit on him as well. At corner, Jair Alexander gets banged up. They have Rasul Douglas starting all season. They end up shipping Rasul Douglas out because Carrington Valentine, 
holy smokes, this kid is nuts. It's a, a, a full, un, pure, 100% A-grade defensive back energy. Just constantly in everyone's face. Just for four quarters, the angriest person you've ever met. Just screaming at wide receivers. Breaking up passes. 19 different celebrations for like a third and three inaccurate ball that he didn't actually force. He's, play, like, he's playing well. Keyshawn Nixon's playing well. They, they, this, this front office in Green Bay, they always get away with it. I don't know how they do, but this, this 23 draft from, from, uh, uh, what's his name? Kukunst is nuts. Like the, the, the offensive players are the highlight, like Reed, Luke Musgrave, like they hit on some of those picks, but defensively they have good young pieces in the cover that have come around. And so I think this defense is in a position where like, even as they start to get older on Devondre Campbell and older on Preston Smith, and it feels like, all right, they might be getting a little bit past their prime. They still got young guys in the hopper ready to go. Like the, this, this defense can turn around quick. Yeah, they're in a good they're in a good spot going into 2024. I can already feel it that I'm going to be way too high on this Packers team going into 2024. All right, let's take one more break and then we'll get back to our third takes. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. What do you got? What's your third take? Uh, Mike Tomlin's a good coach. He is. Absolutely is. He does have to be careful that he doesn't Belichick himself. And I think that's something Mm. we got to watch for this. Uh, it's important for me to start with Mike Tomlin as a good coach because I spend all the holidays arguing with my dad whether or not Mike Tomlin's a good coach. My dad told me he can't go to the gym anymore because he would go to the gym and listen to Pittsburgh Sports Radio, but Pittsburgh Sports Radio is so upsetting to him now because Tomlin is ruining his enjoyment of football that he just can't work out anymore. I said, nope, get your butt back to the gym. You gotta get in shape. That's an unacceptable answer. But that's where Steelers fans' heads are at, right? That's where we're at with, with Tomlin. Now, Tomlin has, has had two playoff wins since 2016, right? They've, they've made the playoffs uh, two times since then, right? They haven't had good playoff pro- performances. It was the end of the Ben Roethlisberger era, in which case, like, you know, let's talk about loyalty. That's how the Steelers tend to build things. They were really loyal to Ben Roethlisberger over the end of his contract when, in reality, like, Ben was just not a functional player for multiple years. Uh, they hired Matt Canada to be the OC, and then they kept him around despite a lot of evidence that they shouldn't, right? There was loyalty there in that decision. Uh, and then, you know... Uh, I think Tomlin, and like this is where the Belichick conversation comes into play. I think Tomlin really likes the people that he knows. He really is comfortable with the guys that he's got and with the, the infrastructure he has. And he's been in Pittsburgh for so long. He's not like one of these other coaches that's bounced around six different places and met 15 different guys and had a ton of osmosis of ideas and made some new connections. And, oh, let's bring this guy in and we'll pair him with this wide receiver coach and they'll blend their two offenses. Like Tomlin's just kind of operating in his social circle. It's just a bit closed off since he's just been in Pittsburgh for so long. And so brings in Canada and he keeps Canada, right? They draft Kenny Pickett. And when they drafted Pickett, they were like, Tom gave the quote where he was like, it's crazy that the guy was in our whole backyard the whole time. It's like, well, Mike, is there a chance that you just kind of looked in your backyard and then stopped a little bit? Like they, 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 they like to keep, they like to be loyal to guys and give guys a long leash and kind of keep things in house. 
with that said, Tomlin right now, like you and I like to talk about coach making good decisions. Since the last two years, he's seventh worst in, in, in making the right fourth down decision rate by analytics, right? Uh, he like he doesn't make the optimal analytics decision. He doesn't make the optimal coaching staff decisions. The the one thing that you and I tend to really grade coaches on, that's I've stolen this from you, I should really say you tend to grade coaches on, is doing more with less. And I think there, Tomlin really passes the sniff test. And that's why he still feels like a good coach, right? The Steelers are just drafting and developing dudes left and right. And they've been doing it for ages, right? Alex Highsmith, fourth round pick. All of a sudden, he's a huge second contract edge. We're going to get, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're going to go get Minka from Miami. We're going to make him right. We're going to go and get uh, Keanu Benton in the second round. He's going to be a starter for us behind Cam Hayward, right? We're going to draft all these day two wide receivers and Deontay Johnson's going to hit and George Pickens is going to hit. Jalen Warren, UDFA, like they they just, they they tend to bring guys on and, and they get in the Steelers incubator and they end up being successful. Like Tomlin has a culture and an ability to do more with less. The Steelers are constantly getting outplayed in these games. They manage to eke out a wins. And I think that is culture. I think that is leadership. I think that's not blinking in the face of danger. And that's being good in late game situations, being well coached and executing. So I think Tomlin is a good coach. But because of the proximity issue, right? I kind of know the guys that I know. There's a little bit of Belichick and Tomlin. And then certainly with this upcoming offensive coordinator hire and this upcoming quarterback decision, there's a lot of Belichick's 2022 offseason in this upcoming 2023 offseason for Tomlin. Where I was like, all right, Belichick, you did the Matt Patricia thing. That was weird. You've seen Mac Jones for two seasons. You know, are, you want to make a quarterback change? You want to bring in any competition? Like, what's the situation? He was like, here's what I'm going to do. Bill O'Brien, and I'm going to cut Billy Zappian camp. And I was like, okay. That very clearly wasn't it, right? Now Tomlin comes up with this offensive coordinator uh, higher in this Kenny Pickett conversation and they've seen the last couple games of Mitchell Trubisky they know he's not it they're starting Mason Rudolph of all things they've seen enough Mason Rudolph to know he's not it either so now you have Kenny and you have a new OC you gotta get this right because if you don't we're gonna be having the same conversations in 2023 or excuse me in 2024 that we have had been having about Belichick in 23, where it's like, okay, I know he's still a good coach. I'm positive he's still a good coach. Like we always do like, oh, if he got put on the street, he'd be hired by another team tomorrow. It's still absolutely true with Belichick. It's still absolutely true with Tomlin. But eventually you run out of capital in the building. Eventually you run out of capital with the fan base, especially when you're a defensive coach and this is an offense-driven league and you can't get that side of the ball right. So Tomlin is a good coach. Dad, I know you're listening. He's a good coach. Don't text me and say I said he was a bad coach. But the the parallels between Belichick's arc and Tomlin's arc are becoming a little bit more clear to me that makes this upcoming coordinator higher and also competition for Kenny Pickett really, really important this upcoming offseason. Yeah, he is another guy. And it's, yeah, I think Pete Carroll, even like Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, like their in-game management has not been very good for years. Now, that's the one thing we watch on Sundays and we grade people on. That's a small portion of what it means to be an NFL head coach. And so I, I do, I mean, even that, yeah, the, the Steelers game on Saturday, I mean, the decisions he's making in the fourth quarter of that game uh, are terrible. At the same time, you zoom out. What I like most about Tomlin is that he understands what his job is. Like he gave the interview to Ryan Clark, I think it was last offseason or the year before on their podcast, where he just articulated like what he feels like he needs to do as an NFL head coach better than anyone I've ever heard say it. So I think all that big picture stuff, culture, leadership, re- relating to players, being honest with them, you know, putting guys in position to succeed, developing them. Uh, I think he's good at all those things. You're right. I mean, this is a big spot for him. I, I mean, with Canada, like he, it kind of felt like he was trying to find a 
like a guy on the right. cutting edge and he found the absolute wrong guy. Right. But it, it, like the thought there seemed like it was okay, right? He wasn't just hiring somebody he knew. What Here's here's what I'm worried about in terms of the, the Canada hire. I'm worried, here's what Tomlin did. Tomlin said, I'm a defensive coach. Uh, man, when those those Suns guns run run motion, it really pisses yeah. me off. Who runs the most motion? And they were like, Matt Canada. And he was like, let's get him in here and kind of hear what he has to say about offense. And they interviewed Canada and they were like, so what do you do offensively? Canada was like, a lot of motion. And Tomlin was like, oh, yeah, that that that's People do that, and that's bad. <laughs> like, feel you, like that's yeah. what happened. Actually. You got to talk to five people, Mike. You can't talk to one guy. You talk to five guys and be like, "What do what offenses do that you don't like? What are the good offenses?" You got to bring five different guys in, and it can't just be like point at motion with a big red circle around it. Be like, "This is what we do." It's got to be a, uh, a little bit more holistic than that, and that's why, like, again, like, I, you know, like the. Andy Reid gets fired by the Eagles and then he goes to Kansas and he has a ton of success. Like sometimes is it just like, you know, there's a time to move on from a guy despite all of his success. I I, I don't know about that. Like I, I just haven't lived long enough to have that good long-term of a view. Like I think that Flex. if I have a good, if I have a good coach in the building, I just want to keep him. But there is something to be said for like, you have to get out and cross pollinate. You have to get out and just talk, interact with and talk to a bunch of different coaches, run different schemes to stay on the cutting edge. And so for Tomlin, it's a wide net for offensive coordinator. If, if you end up hiring not the sexiest name, that's okay. And he'll be, he'll be fine with that. He won't hire for a name. But you got to cast a wide net and really feel you have a guy who's got unique ideas and new ideas who can get you into the 21st century because you're not near it right now offensively. Yeah, there, and this is what happens when you stay in one place for a long time. This isn't unique to Tomlin. You mentioned it with Belichick. I mean, uh, absolutely, happened there. Andy Reid, when he was with the Eagles, and the, people forget, Juan Castillo, Juan Castillo. he literally absolutely. made his offensive line coach the defensive coordinator. He had no pipeline to replace, by the way, Sean McDermott, who since then has been one of the better defensive coaches uh, in the entire NFL for, what, the last 10, 15 years. So this goes on over and over again. It's why... Who was it? Bill Walsh or was Bill Poe was like, you know, five years is a good uh, time to be in one place and then you move on. Otherwise, ideas get stale. So there's all there's a lot of reasoning for those types of things. I'm with you. I'm not at the point where and I understand why Steelers fans would be frustrated. They think the team should be better. I mean, I zoom out and I'm kind of like this is probably based on talent where the around where the team should be. You know, there's seven and seven. It hasn't been a great year. They've probably underachieved. Um, to some degree, but not like a massive degree when you look at the quarterback situation and the quarterback injuries. But yeah, either like their two paths to getting really good are to either have a quarterback who is just a difference maker and can elevate everyone around him. I don't think Kenny Pickett's that guy. Or to have an offensive coordinator who is really good, who can maximize the talent you have there. Because I do think it's a pretty good supporting cast around Kenny Pickett. So that's going to be the easier move, but we'll see who he chooses uh, to do that with. And we'll see how the Steelers finish the season. I mean, this has just been sort of a, a disastrous stretch for them, but I will never totally count them out, even though I don't think Mason Rudolph is going to yeah. make the difference. I would agree with you there. The most important thing to remember is that if the Steelers started three and six, and right now we're seven and seven, we'd all be like, freaking Tomlin, he's such a good he's coach. Doing instead, it again. They, yeah. instead, they started six and three, and now they're seven and seven, and now it's, is Mike Tomlin on the hot seat? We are always in this field a, a victim of relative measures, and Tomlin is uniquely suited for bad relative measures because he constantly punches above his weight. So the moment at which his teams punch at their weight, it feels like they're underweight. It feels like they're underachieving. We never, ever, ever, ever should have expected anything from a Kenny Pickett-led team. 
And but we we did. We got tricked. I said on this podcast, I think the Steelers are good now. They got me. And if they got me, they got everyone. Because I knew, I knew, 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 knew they weren't real. But they got me. And so it, it, it is the fact that he overachieves that makes just his regular achievement feel relatively lacking. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. My third take here, Benjamin. Sticking with coaching. Kyle Shanahan should win coach of the year. I was thinking earlier today, I, what's my third take in a bay? And I'm like, this is so stupid how we do this. I mean, it, it just every year, who's the new coach who they snuck into the playoffs? All right, give that person the coach of the year. Go look at the coach of the year list. There are some terrible freaking coaches on that list. And there are guys like Mike Tomlin, by the way, and Kyle Shanahan who have never won coach of the year. And so I'm trying to zoom out here and look at it. And you watch that 49ers game. It's only the Cardinals. I get it. They just look unstoppable. They have eight possessions. They score five touchdowns. It's a shock right now when they don't score a touchdown. By any you know meaningful metric, they are the best team in the NFL. They're first in DVOA. They're first in point differential. Uh, you know, in the last ten years, I was looking this up through fifteen weeks, the only team that had a better offensive success rate than this year's 49ers are the 2018 Saints. Like this is the territory yeah. they're in. You look at the top ten best offensive performances of the season. It's five by the 40. 49ers, five by the rest of the league. So the exercise I like to do when I'm looking at coaching is, hey, if I swap coach X with coach Y, what does each team look like? And I'm looking at the other contenders here. Shane Steichen has done a terrific job with the Colts. D'Amico Ryan has done a terrific job uh, with the Houston Texans. Dan Campbell, Sean McVay, you can name all these coaches. Now do an exercise and swap Shanahan with the other guys and tell me which team is better off. And I think every time you're going to come back to the team with Shanahan is better off. And I need to say, I'm not like a historical Shanistan, right? That's what it's called, a Shanistan? Sure, go for it. I don't know what we're called. Sure, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not someone who's like just comes on every, you know, every pod or tweet. Oh my God, college. But I mean, what do you, like, we all agree that yes, the 49ers are talented, but the straw that stirs the drink is this guy just maximizing every offensive player on their roster, including their quarterback. Like that is the most valuable, pretty much the most valuable thing you can have for an NFL head coach. So uh, they're talented, yes, but the way he's deploying the guys, the way he's putting uh, Brock Purdy in position to succeed, uh, this is worthy of him winning the award in this very weird season where we thought, do we have a juggernaut? Do we not have a juggernaut? Now the 49ers have kind of separated themselves. So don't just give it to a new coach who got his team to eight or nine wins and you say, wow, we didn't expect that. I understand that's what we've done historically, but let's reward the coach who we just, like, ask yourself a simple question. Who's done the best job coaching their team this year? Right. Yeah, I think it's Kyle, it's Kyle Shanahan. They're the best team. He's done the best job. So I think it's him. So there you go. That's my yeah, third. This, so this dovetails perfectly into my extra point, which All is... All right, perfect. Yeah. My extra point is that the uh, debates and tightness of both the MVP race and the coach of the year race, while maddening, are very, very healthy and good for us as a football discussing public and a football watching public because it forces and creates conversations like the ones that are happening around Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey, an MVP race, and then the ones that are happening in the coach of the year race around guys like uh, Shane Steichen, CJ Stroud, and then Kyle Shanahan. Because you're not you're not the first one to have the Kyle Shanahan take, right? It's been banned around by a couple people who like, all right, if Brock Purdy's not the MVP, then Kyle Shanahan must be coach of the year, right? Because someone's got to take have credit for this unbelievable offense. And it's like, yes, 
Absolutely, yes. 100% yes. And if you look at the history of Coach of the Year, we give Coach of the Year award out to a first-year coach or a coach on a new team or the coach of a team that has a new quarterback who dramatically over uh, a, a hit over their win total, their preseason win total. Like that's, who, that's who wins it. We gave it to Jason Garrett, man. The Cowboys drafted Dak Prescott, <laughs> and he was better than we thought, and we said Jason Garrett's the coach of the year. Uh, I, I saw uh, JT O'Sullivan at the QB school asked this week, um, has anybody ever had as good of stats as Brock Purdy and not won the MVP? And nothing against JT. That sort of question drives me nuts because what it does, it very clearly indicates MVP is the stat for the, is the award for the quarterback with the best stats, right? Like we have taken the awards and we've tried to just boil them down into something that's fairly formulaic. Like, all right, like nobody thought Shane Steichen would be this good coach of the year. Why not? We could have watched him with, with, with the Eagles. He's obviously, he's, he's great. He's been great. But watch him with the Eagles. He was awesome with the Eagles. D'Amico Ryan's with the Texans. Why didn't we think, watch D'Amico's defenses? He should have been great. Absolutely, he was great. But because these are collective votes, votes and they are voted on by, uh, by award givers and by media members, we have the opportunity to sit down and say, okay, Brock Purdy has unbelievable stats. But is he really what the MVP usually looks like? Or should that be Christian McCaffrey? And sure, running backs aren't that valuable, but... This guy's probably a little different than the other one. We, it allows us to look at Lamar Jackson and say, like, all right, Lamar's counting stats, not amazing. But do you watch him against Jacksonville? The whole offense, it's just Lamar. It's just Lamar running around back there. Like, we, we can ask these questions and take subjective views, right? To talk about uh, a coach of the year, Kyle Shanahan's, like, not doing anything different than he's done the last five years. I think that's why people feel reticent to give him the award. But it's the fact that it's five years later, Kyle's offense looks kind of, but really nothing like it used to. They're in good, in spread formations, not running play action, and still having loads of success. It's the fact that five years later, he is still the defining offensive mind of the league. That means he should probably get the award for the best coach because he probably is the best coach. Like We are allowed to have conversations about subjective awards, come to a, 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 a democratic disagreement, cast the votes, and see who gets the thing. And so, like, like the, the idea, like, all right, like, this guy's this stats, he's got to get him. Oh, if the Colts make the playoffs, then Steichen must be coach of the year. If the Texans do, then Re- D'Amico must be the year. I disagree with all those stipulations. I think that it's so good that MVP and coach of the year this year are chaotic, and everybody's angry about it, and we're all just yeah, just t- trying to talk through it. I think it makes for a smarter football-consuming public. makes for great content, too. Subscribe to Extra Point Taken. But it makes for a smarter football public, and, and we all learn more about how football works. I think that's sick, even though it's also infuriating. Team content. You know, I'm team content. So, yeah, it's good for us. We can have, uh, have these conversations. So we'll have to go on the record eventually after Week 18. Let's let the whole yep. regular season play out. We'll do our show after Week 18. And we will have to go on the record with our picks. Since we don't get to vote for any, we'll just say it to each other. And that's it's, and I will be very clear about that this year. Because last year, I tweeted out my all-pro ballot. And I said, this is my all-pro ballot. And a lot of people thought I had an all-pro ballot. <laughs> and I thought it would have been really obvious that they would never give me an all-pro ballot. Not no shot. Ben's getting an all-pro ballot anytime <laughs> soon. But a lot of people were like, you are ruining football. Because you have Matt Juden as a second team all pro versus on Reddick. And I was like, guys, I made this Excel spreadsheet in 20 minutes. Like, I cannot stress you enough how not real this is. But the discourse is good. I, I, a lot of like, I did a Brock Purdy MVP play sheet on Wednesday and like Niners fans hated it. And for like 24 hours, I did not enjoy my job because it was just like very negative time. But when I get, take a step back and I realize, and I get away from it, I realize like, this is good. 
Like it, it, it is cool that we have a tight race for these awards and we can talk about it with like complex data, complex stats, complex film analysis, and like generally reach a point where we're learning a lot about football. I like the fact that, that we have fired up about this. It's much better than, you know, what, 20, uh, 25 years ago. I mean, listen, when I was kind of, so like, I couldn't even get snap counts any anywhere. I had to yeah. just rewatch those Eagles games and use a, use a spreadsheet. Uh, to, you were to manually counting playing. snaps? I could never. I would, I would be, I would not be employed. L- listen, this, this is a quick me. story time. So I was blogging about the Eagles and I saw uh, a writer named Mike Reese at, I think then at the Boston Globe. And I saw his blog and I said, wow, he has like snap counts and personnel groupings in here. I wonder where he gets those. So I emailed the man and I said, hey, where do you get those? I would love to do this. And he goes, I watched, I rewatched the games and I tripped them myself. And I go, all right, I guess that's what I'm going to be doing here. So yeah, so we have much better. So shout out to Mike Reese, yeah. who's awesome. Uh, and yeah, we've come a long way. So there you when go. Did, so, wait, so when did you, when did you start blogging about the Eagles? How that old was were probably 2008-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wasn't that yeah. long ago. Yeah. You didn't have you couldn't get snap counts. I, I tell people all the time, like the only re- what reason I got into the field is because I started doing draft coverage. And in the mid 2010s, there was a site called Draft Breakdown, which the OGs know. Draft Breakdown, just libraries of publicly available cutups of broadcasts of of college football games. So you want to watch John Ross? Here's every John Ross snap, and he's highlighted on every single one. Wow! And it was extremely illegal because that's that's the Pac-12 Network's content. <laughs> you can't put it on the internet. But it was. And so there's just so much film to watch that I could actually sit down and like learn how the game worked. And so absolutely, it, it, the, the, um, the availability of stuff is a big, big, big deal. And so yeah. am I like, do I love getting yelled at about Brock Purdy? No. Do I love the fact that I have all of the Brock Purdy film on demand, all of the Brock Purdy stats on demand, and I can talk to the people who care deeply about Brock Purdy for MVP? Yeah, that makes the job fun. That's right. You put it all together. You make a pick. It's okay. It's not that serious. As I always say, it's only football. It's not that big of a deal. All right. We made it. I threw a couple interceptions in the fourth quarter. I live to you tell about it. it. We're on to Cincinnati. On to who do the Eagles play? On to the Giants <laughs> next yeah. week. If, if you uh, if, 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 if a listener skipped through the intro because they hate the intro for some reason, they would have no idea that you were sick. You, you, you flew game huh. to it quite well. Well, thank you. I do feel like I'm going to collapse right after this, but that's okay. We'll be fine. All right. Thank you to Christopher Sutton for producing. Thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for the video production. Additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. Next episode will be Nora and Steven with Dual Threat. Then Solak and I will be back on Friday. Thanks to everyone for listening. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon on Extra Point Take. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 
1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 